remnant of my flock out of all the lands where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke, the 23rd chapter, beginning with the 32nd verse. Two others also who were criminals were led away to, put, to be put to death with Jesus. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there, kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly. For we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It's probably true that in the modern United States of America, we don't know much about kingdoms. We don't know what it is to live under one person who can command us to do whatever he or she wants us to do. But sometimes it does seem that we've had some presidents who want to be a little more of a king than they should. And certainly some of us have wanted a king more than we should. 
But other than that, we don't have experience of what a king is. Some folks have wanted to substitute reign of God or reign of Christ for kingdom for that very reason. So when we hear words like the reign of Christ, we may experience a desire to fully submit to His order over us. We also might wonder what part of our lives can we keep Jesus away from and still consider ourselves Christians. As Jesus begins to interfere with our sense of autonomy and self-direction, we might cry out, no, 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 you're not welcome that far. We may tell him to back off a little bit. After all, this is my life. So when we hear terms like Christ the King Sunday, we also might wonder why don't we celebrate Jesus as King every Sunday? Do we feel that way in our own hearts when we come to worship? And how is it that we would recognize Jesus as a King? Do we even want Him for a King? He came into Jerusalem on a donkey. Because a prophet said that the king would come to Israel riding on a donkey. And Jesus was received by people who shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. They thought, man, it's on now. The king is coming. And then he came into town and upset their religion, upset their sense of who they were. And a short day later, short few days later, they gave him up to be tried and put to death. Because they didn't quite want him that far into their lives, making demands that they didn't want to keep. So he was condemned, he was led up a hill, shamed, stripped of his clothing, mocked, and then nailed to a tree. And we might wonder how are we to receive such a failure, a defeated Messiah? as our king. In 590 AD, St. Gregory the Great described Jesus' dying this way. Consider incessantly how great evils our Redeemer endured from those whom He had created, that He bore so many vile insults of reproach that while snatching the souls of captives from the hand of the old enemy, He took blows on his face from insulting men. That while washing us with the water of salvation, he hid not his face from the spitting of the faithless. That while delivering us by his his advocacy from eternal punishment, he bore scourges in silence that while giving to us everlasting honor among the choirs of angels, He endured violent blows, that while saving us from the prickings of our sins, He refused not to submit His head to a crown of thorns, that while inebriating us with eternal sweetness, He accepted in His thirst the bitterness of gall, that He who for us 
adored the Father, though equal to him in Godhead, when adored in mockery, held his peace. That while preparing life for the dead, he who was himself the life came unto death. What a paradox we are asked to embrace. An executed man with a crown of thorns put to shame, who I I grant died with utmost grace, but still died in a cursed death, nonetheless. Shall we bend our knee to that? I've heard many stories about kings. I remember hearing about King Arthur and Camelot might have been my favorite. I remember the emperor who had no clothes. I felt like that guy sometimes. What about y'all? I remember seeing TV stories and cartoons with a king in a purple robe, white feather boa around his neck, pomping around, looking important. I remember what kings are supposed to look like from stories and paintings and iconography of bygone ages, from the stories of Bible kings on felt boards and the art and the stories that I saw in high school. I remember seeing depictions of Henry VIII, a horrible man, but a king nonetheless, of Tutankhamun, a brutal child, but a king nonetheless, of Alexander, a ruthless killer of people, but a king nonetheless. And the list goes on. I remember seeing all these pictures of all these people who built kingdoms on the back of the blood of the people they conquered that were revered for their office, but not necessarily who they were. But dear ones, Not once was one of them portrayed as a man nailed to a tree, crowned with thorns. None of them looked like the king we are supposed to be here to celebrate. It seems as if all of Jerusalem, except the few faithful, and this one criminal had decided that he was a usurper. How did this one criminal get it right? How did he see all that I've described and decide that this man hanging on an execution device must be a king? He was somehow viewed as a threat to the comfort and security of both religion and Rome. He was a danger. He was seen as a menace. And so he was put to the most shameful death ever devised by human beings. Because he had the gall to tell people to love and serve each other. Remember what he told us just last week? Love your enemies. Do good, do good, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other. If they take your coat, give them your shirt. Apparently those words can get you handed over to be killed. It's been my experience that they still make some of the people who claim to be following this crucified king wonder if they really must obey those teachings. Was Jesus just saying words for the heck of saying words? We might well be suited to remember that the core meaning of the word disciple is a person who is being disciplined by the teachings of another. 
A disciple is a learner who imitates the teacher. And that's why Gregory the Great reminds us that Jesus lived up to his own teachings, to his own standard, even as he was being killed by doing good to those who hated him. Jesus' enemies had no interest in imitating him. His popularity had become a threat. So much so that upon seeing Lazarus died, they decided that they had to put both Jesus and Lazarus to death because the people were going after Jesus. It seems that having all the people go after you can get you nailed to a tree and raised up in shame and scorn. And so I wonder, how in the world did this thief recognize this beaten, mocked, spat on, dying man as the messianic king, the one promised by God? How in the world did he look at Jesus and decide, this guy is king? Sometime between 1997 and 98, I, 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 my timeline memory doesn't work. The state of South Carolina decided to give tours of the closed Central Correctional Institute building right there by the river in Columbia. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It was our oldest state penitentiary where they put the really bad people. It's where Donald Henry Pee Wee Gaskin was taken. I think y'all probably remember his story. If you know the name, I don't have to tell you what he did. If you don't know the name, I have to tell you, I'm not going to tell you what he did. You can look it up. He was called the meanest man in America. The redneck Charles Manson. I saw the cell that he lived in there when he murdered another inmate. It gave me chills. They led us down the hall a little bit and showed us the place where the chair was. You know the one they call Sparky? It's horrible. They'd taken the chair out and all that was left was the room, but I promise you, it still felt like death. I felt like I'd walked into the middle of something that I should never have seen. But I didn't quite sense the enormity of it until they took us to the next room which contained a really big table. And the tour guide looked at us and said, Hey, that's the cooling table. Y'all want to touch it? Like we were at Disney World walking into the gift shop after the ride. (laughs) The cooling table. And after a minute it sunk into what he was telling us was that they took the executed person there and lay them there until they could cool down enough to be cared for. And I felt a deep sense of darkness at the brutality of human beings. And then I thought, this must be what it must have been like to be at Golgotha that day and every other day that the Romans crucified people which was every other day. I was startled by the brutality. And when I hear about Jesus being put on a tree that was put to death in a way that was even more brutal, 
And I hear about this criminal who experienced the same brutality. How he looked at a man in the exact same state that he was. Nailed to a tree. And said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It seems ridiculous. I can't help but think that it would be like me sitting in the room looking at Pee Wee Gaskin strapped to an electric chair, wired and ready for execution and saying to him, remember me when you're president. Do you hear that, church? It's ironic, isn't it? Who in the world would do that? Who in the world would look at a man being executed and say, remember me when you are king? It doesn't make sense. Something must have tipped the one criminal off. Something must have captured his attention and changed his heart about Jesus. Something must have caused him to be able to see Jesus as something other than a beaten down and broken man. To see him as the promised Messiah, the King of Israel. And if I were just to force an answer, I would say that the criminal's just responding to the grace of God apparent in that situation. But where in the world could the grace of God be seen in that moment when something so horrible was being done to something, someone so innocent? The criminal somehow recognized Jesus' kingship, though no one else did. One day Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. And Jesus answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Apparently even expected. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for the, behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. He was talking about himself. And later on, Peter, after he had come back to Jesus, after saying, no, he's not my Lord, I want a life of safety, so I'm denying him. But later, Peter was preaching to a great crowd after seeing the risen Christ and he said these words about him. Let all Israel know for certain that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified, the one you executed is the king. Peter was struck by that enormity. But Peter had the benefit of hindsight. He had seen Jesus raised. The criminal who was crucified beside Jesus had not seen that. All he had seen was the suffering. The criminal who hung on his own execution device somehow recognized Jesus' kingship before Jesus was vindicated by resurrection. He did so even before the seventh angel in Revelation blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven and we are told that John heard these words, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. 
The criminal recognized Jesus as king 43 days before Peter gave his Pentecost sermon where he said, this one you crucified, God has made king in Christ. How did he know? I think for him the turning point came when he saw a man who had been beaten beyond recognition who was bleeding profusely from his wounds, who was made fun of, who was mocked, who was derided as he was being executed, say these words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I think he knew then that he was in the presence of a real king. A king who builds his kingdom on his own suffering and on his own blood. A king who lays his life down for the people. God's Messiah. He was seeing the one that Jeremiah had promised, a shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. The one called the Lord is our righteousness. The one that Paul said was obedient even unto death, even death on a cross. It seemed to me that it was this act of grace by Jesus, forgiving his executioners, that opened the eyes of the criminal and gave him faith. You may remember that a few weeks ago we heard Jesus say, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? The criminal's request Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Is that not the greatest cry of faith you have ever heard? He looked at a man beaten nearly to death and said, Remember me when you were king. I'd like to have that kind of faith, wouldn't you? Is your own desire to cry out in prayer, to raise your voice to the sky, to beat your own breast, to long for justice, to confess your own sins, to have hope for renewal in your life, to look to a time when you will rest, when there will be peace, when all things will be well, to hope for a time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth, to come and gather in worship, to execute the idea that somehow this man who was scorned in shame, is king of the universe. Is that any less of sign of you living into the faith that Christ has give you, given you? Is that less than a criminal crying out, remember me? Can you see those things, those hopes that you have as a sign of the same faith living in you? I hope so. This story shows us the power of grace. A criminal who could do nothing to earn entrance into the kingdom of God because he didn't come down. He died just like Jesus did. He couldn't come down and go and reconcile with people. He couldn't come down and go and fix his mistakes. He couldn't come down and live a more holy life. He couldn't come down and pray more. He had no chance to do anything but look at this man and say, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
And Jesus said to him, You will be with me. That is the power of grace. It opens our eyes to see a crucified Messiah who was raised and king. And so Christ was revealed to him as the true king. And how he loved those who were filled with hate for him. And I feel certain that God has no less desire that we come to that same faith seeing and responding to Christ as king because he has forgiven us. I can't answer where the turning point is in your life. But I will share with you that I, see, I experience it every Sunday when I put on this covering and this symbol of being yoked to Christ as his slave. This is not a symbol of power. This is not a symbol of authority. It is a symbol that I am a slave of Jesus and nothing more. And when I put this on my neck, I am remembering that he is king and that I am not. And so the question that I will leave you with is this one. In what ways are you doing that in your life? In what ways are you exercising the faith that God has given you and demonstrating the lordship of Jesus over your life? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find people who believe that his commandments are not the ridiculous rantings of a socialist or a zealot? or a Zionist, but the discipline of the King of Kings. I pray that your prayer and and my prayer in this coming new year of service to Christ will be remember me when you come into your kingdom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.